This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Father, we do thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. Thank you for uh, another opportunity to come together, pray together, worship together, study your word together. Lord, as always, Lord, we look to you and pray that you grant understanding for our good and growth for your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you would turn to First Timothy three sixteen. First Timothy three sixteen. Well, I'll probably read more than that one verse, but First Timothy three. The way to uh, something I think to to be reminded of uh, often, uh, especially with a lot of things going on, the way to combat error. Is with truth. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing uh, in this letter to Timothy. That's what he's instructing Timothy to do. Um, better get rid of this. So calls me interference here. Um, it's what Paul is instructing Timothy to do. <clears throat> the, the church, as we're going to see again, we read especially in verse 15 and 16. The church is all about truth and speaking the truth. Speaking the truth in love. And we live in a world filled with error. And we, we even get uh, bombarded with error within, you know, within the church, uh, the gathering of the church. But again, the way to combat about it, whether on the outside or on the inside, is with truth. Um, and it's interesting, you, you hear a lot of things uh, in the media. I've been thinking, of course, as probably all of you have if you're listening to the news at all, about this, uh, this church uh, that plans to burn the Koran. And uh, strange, I think. It's just a strange thing. Um, uh, there, there are a lot of observations you can, you can make there. For one thing, the obvious double standard. Uh, um, if somebody was going to burn a, a Bible, number one, I don't think the... Uh, you know, the administration or the media or anybody would be interested in it, in the story. Uh, number two, a bunch of Christians would not be rioting or, or threatening to kill people to stop them from burning the Bible. <laughs> so, a lot of observations you could make there. But um, one of the main ones that, that relates to what we're doing here in our, in our study in Timothy is, is just that era is to be met with truth. Burning their books not going to accomplish a thing. Preaching the truth to them is what can make the difference, will make the difference. If, if anything makes the difference, it'll, you know, it'll be that. The power of God working through um, His own revelation. So, error is to be dealt with with the truth. Um, let's go back to um, verse 15 again. This is kind of the central verse here is where Paul's um, articulating his reason for writing. 
And it also it leads, uh, of course, right into uh, this thought, leads right into verse 16, which is where we're at and what we're dealing with. Verse 15, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Now, it's no coincidence that this little uh, hymn of praise follows verse 15. This is what is on Paul's mind because he's talking about truth. I write so that you may know how, to, how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The truth. He wants us to know how to conduct ourselves in the household of God, so He gives us truth. Revelation from God. God's revealed Word. And, and uh, not only in this epistle, but of course we have it in all of the Bible. But uh, specifically... Uh, here, um, Paul gives what God has given to him to Timothy to give to others. The answer for uh, church structure and the answer for church problems is all truth. It's grounded in the truth, where we always have to go um, to deal with uh, problems or, or error. So he says, I write so that you may know how, to, how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God which is the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia, called out ones of the living God. As we've said many times, the church is not an, uh, an organization or a building. It's the people of God, the called out ones. It's the ones whom God has gathered, brought into His household. The church is the household of the living God. Family, you might say. We're the family of God. And I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church or the congregation of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The congregation of God, the people of God, the called out ones of God are or is, you could say, because he's talking about it collectively here. Um, the congregation is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's what the church is all about. It's about truth. That's why it's not necessary for us to um, take up arms to fight uh, literal battles, armies. Not necessary for us to burn uh, other people's uh, religious books uh, or, or any, anything of that sort. That's not where our battle is. Our battles with the mind, and we've got to fight on that field. We, we confront error with truth. The, the problem with any lost person, or the, or the problem with any Christian even, that needs correction is uh, that we're in error to some degree. And the remedy for that is truth. The church... Congregation of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's what the church is all about, representing 
the truth in this world. Now, what is the truth? Well, we started uh, touching on it last week on, on this little hymn here that he that he gives. Um, I think as a, as a basically as an explanation, the congregation of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. And now, here's what the truth is: it's this mystery of godliness, as Paul says, revealed mystery. That's the idea behind the word mystery here. It's a a, uh, a truth again that was hidden, but now is made manifest. It's made known. God has God has opened it up. He's He's given it to us. And this is the, the truth. The mystery that was hidden is now revealed that we are to confront the world with. And this is it in, in, a, uh, in the form of a confession. You could say kind of uh, some of the major points uh, summed up here. Verse 16, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. I mentioned before the uh, the idea, and King James says without controversy, um, the word you'd probably be more literally translated confessedly. It's the idea of everybody saying the same thing or agreement. That's why the King James translates it the way it does, without controversy. Paul's saying we're in agreement on this that the mystery of godliness is great. It's great. There's, there's no, among us, Paul is saying, there's, there's no dispute here. The truth that God has revealed is mega, literally, that's the Greek word. It's, it's mega, it's great, it's big. And here it is. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels. Preached among the Gentiles or nations, the word ethnos there. Preached among the nations. Believed on in the world. Received up in glory. Now think about that for a moment. Uh, it's, uh, we talked about the structure. It's, it's the form of a, of a hymn or a confession. That's just the way the, uh, the, the, it's structured, the, the, the language... Um, uh, seems to make that obvious. <clears throat> and think about the content. In fact, first phrase says God was manifested in the flesh, and obviously the rest of it is, is still we're still talking about God. So, so for our understanding or for explanation, you could put God in front of each phrase. God was man. Here's here's the truth that Paul's uh, excited about. God was manifested in the flesh. God was justified in the Spirit. God was seen by angels. God was preached among the nations. God was believed on in the world. God was received up in glory. And no wonder he calls it mega, great. And he says, we all agree on this. Without, it's without controversy. The mystery of godliness, this mystery that's now revealed about God's plan, about God's will concerning salvation of, of uh, concerning our salvation, salvation of believers, is great. Well, let's let's go back kind of line by line again. We started on this last week, and we didn't get past the first line. Maybe, maybe, maybe we will tonight. All right. <laughs> the first the first one's 
kind of hard to leave, but God was manifested in the flesh. And last week we looked at John 1, 1. Let's, let's do that again briefly. I'll, I'll try to do it briefly here and we'll try to move on. Because um, we did talk about this some last week. Here, clearly, and this, again, one of the, one of the main points, one of the main things we want to glean here, that the truth revealed that Paul's talking about in Timothy 3 is that this is God being made known to us. Again, God manifested in the flesh, right? God justified in spirit. God seen by angels. God preached among the nations. God received up into glory. It's, it's all about Him. It's God-centered. Or as we're going to see, we, we, we said this before, Christocentered. Christ-centered. The truth is Christ-centered. When you get down to the nitty-gritty, the real... It, it's a shame that you have to say this, but it's like Francis Schaeffer coined this phrase, the true truth. <laughs> that's, that's redundant. You shouldn't have to say, it's like saying born-again Christian. Well, there's no such thing as an unborn-again Christian. Uh, but somehow we got to using this phrase, born-again Christian, because we're, we're trying to uh, put some emphasis there and, and trying to communicate that we, re- we really mean Christian this time. you know. And so I have to kind of use that phrase here, true truth. When we talk about the God-revealed truth, Bible truth, we're talking about the true truth. Now, Schaefer made that distinction because there's so much talk about truth in the world today. And a lot of it has nothing whatsoever to do with Christ. The truth is Christocentric. It is, it is Jesus-centered. It's all about Him. John 1.1 God was manifested in the flesh, right? Here it is in the, in the uh, Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word... That's, that's the Greek word logos. Uh, so if you hear me say that, well, that's, that's what I'm referring to. And referring to John is referring to Jesus. He's using the word logos to refer to Jesus. You'll see that in a moment. But, but logos means word. I mentioned before um, that was a very commonly used word. The Greeks, um, uh, in Greek philosophy, they used it as a reference to kind of the the, uh, the 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 divine principle. The not 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 a. They didn't necessarily have in view a person like we mean when we say God. They just knew there's, uh, or they thought you know there's something out there, kind of like the force that that uh, that generated everything and that moves everything, and they referred to it as the logos. Well, I don't. I, I mention that because I don't think that uh, that there's any coincidence here that God. Giving his revelation in the Greek language uses the word logos to refer to Jesus. But what John's going to do is show that uh, it's not just some impersonal force or energy out there. It's a person. There, there is a higher being. Uh, there is a, a, a power that brought all things into being, generated all things, and it moves all things. And John is going to tell us who it is. It's, it's a who. It's not an it. In the beginning was the Word. And to the Jews, and again, I mentioned this before, I think, but to the Jews, it meant the revelation of God. The Word. The Word of God. Old Testament. The Word of God 
came to you know Jeremiah or Isaiah or whatever. So it's, it represents revelation from God. So again, John is is using a very familiar word to say uh, all of that. <laughs> the, the the divine principle, who is a person, not a thing, um, who sustains, who brought all things into being, sustains all things, moves all things, and the revelation of God, all of that is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you could, you could read it this way. In the beginning was the Logos. Notice how he words this. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He makes it clear that this Logos he's talking about was with God in the beginning. So there you have a distinction. God and the Logos. Just like if I said, I'm with you tonight, you know, then there's a distinction there of persons. Me and you. Well, he says, in the beginning, the Logos was with God. So you've got a distinction between God and the Logos. But, then he goes on to say, and the Logos was God. So, he's, he was with God and he was God. Now, I can't use my analogy of me and you for that, can I? I can't say, I'm with you tonight and I am you. It would make no sense. And yet, it's true of the eternal Logos. He was with God and He was God. He's divine. And then in verse 14... And the Logos became flesh. Remember the first line of our hymn, 1 Timothy 3.16? God was manifested in the flesh. Or literally, in flesh. God was manifested in flesh. Well, here you have it. The Logos was with God and He was God. The Logos was God. And, verse 14, the Logos became flesh. Flesh. Now, interesting, in the, uh, in the uh, first verse, verse 1 here, John 1, 1, the Logos was, and the idea behind the word was there is just that he, he already was, is the idea. In the beginning, he already was. It's, it's speaking of his eternal nature. Because He's God. Because He's divine. The Logos was divine. The Logos was God, in other words. But notice in verse 14, it doesn't say He was flesh. It says, and the Logos became flesh. He was God already, always has been. But... At a particular point in time, he became flesh. Or, the way Paul says it in 1 Timothy 3, God was manifested in the flesh. Or in flesh. God was manifested in flesh. So again, John says here in verse 14, And the Logos became flesh 
and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. <clears throat> for, the, for the Jews, um, it, it, it really should be mind-blowing for us, but we just, it, it is if we think on it. But for the Jews, the idea that God would take on flesh and dwell among us is unthinkable. Huge, huge stumbling block. And it's sort of understandable, isn't it? I mean, if, like I say, if we stop and think about it for a moment, that God could become flesh? If you think about who God is, and, and then think about who we are as human beings, men and women in the flesh, and what life in the flesh is like, we know about that. But John says, the Lagos, who was with God and who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. John says he, he, he took on a fleshly body. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Now, this, this is key. This is, this is kind of built into the, to the word manifested in 1 Timothy 3.16. God was manifested in the flesh. In flesh. I keep saying the. Really, it's just in flesh. God was manifested in flesh. Now, that word manifested is the idea of, uh, of um, to be made known, to be made visible, to be, to be revealed, you could, you could say. And the Lagos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. See, His glory was was revealed. That is the glory of God. The glory of the Lagos. The glory of God was revealed, made known, made visible. John says, He became flesh and we beheld His glory. We, we saw. We saw the glory of the Lagos. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Now, structurally, just, just uh, grammatically, um, the, the, uh, His glory, you go back and look at the first part of the verse, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, we beheld His glory, right there, stop at the comma. That Grammatically, that can be tied to that last phrase, and I think that's that's right way to understand it. So so if you if you leave out the middle part there, it would read this way: the Lagos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. Description of the glory of God, and John says we we saw it in the Lagos. Well, it's obvious by verse 14 who he's talking about, isn't it? He's talking about Jesus. So, in other words, you go back to verse 1, when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning already. When everything else came into being, Jesus already was. And Jesus was with God. And you've got this distinction here. Jesus and God. Lagos, God. Two persons. 
Yet, John says, and Jesus, Lagos, was God. He was with God and He was God. And He became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory of Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1.3 says He's the radiance of the glory of God. <laughs> Emanating from, from Jesus is, is grace and truth. And the fullness of every other attribute of God you can name. In other words, all of, all of the, the excellencies of God are manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. In their fullness... Now, that's important because this is why He became flesh. The reason He became flesh was to show us God. Or, or you could say to show us Himself. God, God was manifested in the flesh. That is, uh, let, me, let me paraphrase that. God was made known in the flesh. Because that's in flesh. Because that's that, the idea behind the, the word manifested there. God was made known in flesh. As uh, <clears throat> Piper likes, John Piper likes to say about creation, he says, God, uh, why did God create? He decided to go public with His glory. Well, you could say that about this too, couldn't you? <laughs> why, why did Jesus... Become a man to go public with His glory. He, he wanted us to behold the fullness of His glory. And John says, we saw it. He dwelt among us and we saw it full of grace and truth. Truth. Truth is at the, at the heart of the glory of God. And what the church is all about, what we're here for, is to glorify God. It's to, to proclaim the glory of God. To joy in the glory of God. To exult in the glory of God. We're all about, at least that's what we're designed for, we're all about the glory of God. Which means we're all about truth. So anytime we do anything, whether it's have an ice cream social or burn a Koran, we've got to ask the question, is, is the glory of God in this? Is God going to be glorified in this? Because the church is all about the glory of God. It's all about truth, grace and truth. Now, real quick, again, keep in mind this word manifested. God was manifested or God was made known in flesh. So in verse 18, John 1:18, John says, "No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him." How did he do that? He became flesh. He became flesh to to declare God to us. 
God made Himself known in the person of Jesus Christ when He became flesh. A couple other passages before we have to quit here. Um, Look at Philippians 2. Again, uh, dealing with the Incarnation. Philippians 2, and verse, probably going to start about verse 6 here. Let's see. Now, verse 5, good good uh, exhortation here Paul was giving to the Philippians. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. Well, let me, let me just kind of like give the, the, uh, the gist of it right up front here, when he says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, he's, he's saying, be humble. Because this is what he's going to go on to describe. Jesus humbled Himself. The Lord of glory humbled Himself for us. And so Paul is saying, let that mindset be in you. Humble yourselves. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, there it is again, He was God. John said He was with God and He was God. And Paul says here, who being in the form of God, that is, he, He was existing in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. wasn't... um doing any harm to the glory of God or bringing any kind of reproach on God or some translations say something to the effect um, did not think uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he, he, he had it. He, he was God. It wasn't, it wasn't something like uh, Satan tried to grasp for that. Tried to exalt himself above God, as a matter of fact. Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did He do? Verse 7. But He emptied Himself. Literally. He emptied Himself. King James says He made Himself of no reputation. That's uh, one word there. He, he, the idea is He emptied Himself. He emptied Himself of what? He emptied Himself of His glory. Um, heavenly glory for our sake. That is, He humbled Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So there it is again. He he, uh, came in the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, what he's talking about, the incarnation. That is, he became flesh. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Therefore, verse 9, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. So he existed in the form of God and he became a servant. That is, He became man. God was manifested 
in the flesh. One more. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And I'm going to start with verse 5 here. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. In, in, in uh, making his point here, Paul draws on the, the creation experience. He's saying, uh, it's, it's like when God commanded light to shine out of darkness. In Genesis 1, God said, light be. And there was light. I mean, he commanded it, and it was done. And all of a sudden, uh, what was darkness became light. At God's divine fiat. I mean, in other words, he just, he just spoke. He spoke light into existence. Well, Paul is saying, the knowledge of the glory of God works the same way. It's, it's just as much a divine work. For, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. The same God who has shone in our hearts. That is, he's, our hearts were dark and God said, in a sense, light be. And there was light. And what was the light? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is the God who commanded Light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, the, the main point here is the reason why I took us here. Where is the knowledge of the glory of, the God, of God seen? It's seen in the face of Jesus Christ. God incarnate. God in flesh. He made Himself known in flesh. Not, not, not flesh in general, so that you could just say, well, you know, I, I mean, there is a sense in which, right, in all of creation, there is a sense that God is revealed in all of creation so that uh, we bear the image of God. But that's not what he's referring to here. It's not what John was referring to in John 1 when he said, we beheld His glory full of grace and truth. <laughs> you're not going to get that looking at me unless you see Christ in me. But you're not going to get that looking at me. You're not going to get that looking at any other human being. This is a full manifestation. The knowledge of the glory of God only seen in the face of Jesus Christ. God was manifested in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Him and Him alone. Him and Him alone. 
people, um, a lot of people dream of uh, the day when all religions will just kind of be melded together. And they, they think, you know, after all, uh, well, there's that word truth again. They, they think, after all, that's, that's the truth. I mean, you, we're all doing the same thing. We're all, we're all, ultimately, we're all worshiping the same God. We just, we, we just understand Him a little differently. Uh, or I guess they would probably say we understand Him or her or, or it or whatever it is a little differently. We're, we're, we're getting a little uh, different view. But ultimately, all religions are about the same business. But biblical Christianity says an emphatic no to that whole idea. The knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ nowhere else. God was manifested in the flesh, not in Buddha, not in Mohammed, not in Sun Young Moon or anybody else, but in the person of Jesus Christ. God has revealed Himself. He has made Himself known in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank You for revelation. Making Yourself known to us. Our hearts were indeed dark. Our minds are dark. No access to the light. True light. Until You spoke just like when you spoke uh, light in the midst of darkness, the beginning of creation, Lord, so you've illumined our hearts and minds so that we may behold your glory in the person of Jesus Christ. So that we may know you. This is how you've made yourself known. So, Lord, may we occupy ourselves as we, as we move through uh, this life in this world of darkness. Lord, may we learn how to occupy ourselves with gazing at Jesus. So that we learn about You. For Your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.